Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 37. I've selected this psalm uh, as an occasional text. I think there is uh, much agitation, much unsettledness uh, within the church as we consider the, the vote that is coming up this week, but also as we consider other, other matters in, in personal lives as we see at times wicked people flourishing and we wonder when will God arise and bring justice. So I've chosen this as, as an occasional text for, the, for this evening. And Psalm 37, by way of background, is an acrostic psalm. Every couple of verses begins with a subsequent letter of the alphabet in Hebrew. So if we were to uh, look at, particularly the ESV, I think, has it formatted this way uh, consistently. You'll notice a couple of blocks of text every two verses, sometimes just one verse. And each little block of text there corresponds to a, Hebrew, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet where the first word of that block of text uh, begins with uh, a letter of the alphabet. So if we were to try to put this into English, the beginnings of the first few blocks might sound like something like this. Avoid agitation on account of evildoers. Believe in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. And so on. But I will read Psalm 37 as it's Translated in prose for us here in the New American Standard Translation. Of David. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers. For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evildoing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more, and you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow, to cast down the afflicted and the needy, to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart, and their bows will be broken. Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil, and in the days of famine they will have abundance. But the wicked will perish, and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastors. They vanish like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. 
for those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his descendants begging bread. All day long he is gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. Depart from evil and do good, so you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand or let him be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I have seen a wicked, violent man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. Then he passed away, and lo, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man, and behold the upright. For the man of peace will have a posterity, but transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. How do you want to respond when you see wickedness? And how do you want to respond when you see an injustice and it doesn't look like there's anyone who's able to do anything about it? What do you do when you see the sort of wickedness that defiles the land? The sort of wickedness that causes the land to vomit out its inhabitants because it has been polluted by their iniquities. A tempting response is to become agitated, upset, fretful, angered, to take matters into our own hands to exact vengeance. The psalm is a psalm which exhorts us to the contrary, to not become agitated, to not become fretful and anxious, to not become angered, to not take vengeance, but to wait upon the Lord. So as we consider this exhortation of the psalm this evening, not to fret, not to be agitated, not to become angry, and not to be tempted to do evil, to take matters into our own hands, but to trust in the Lord and to do good. As we consider the psalm's exhortation to us to do that this evening, uh, we'll, we'll be looking at the various reasons why we can be exhorted to do that. Why can we, as it were, be still and quiet? Why can we 
wait patiently when there's so much around us that might distress us? The answers will come through a contrast of the righteous and the wicked and the respective ends that await them. But before we consider the, uh, the, the ends that wait the righteous and the wicked, we need to understand who are the righteous and the wicked. Simply put, the wicked are those outside of Christ. The wicked are those who do not have Jesus. The wicked are those who, against whom the law makes a condemnation of guilty. And the righteous, by contrast, are not those who have never committed any sin, but rather the righteous are those who seek their refuge in the Lord. The righteous are those who have been removed from the jurisdiction of the law because whatever the law, whenever the law condemns someone, it condemns someone who is under its jurisdiction. And to be removed from that jurisdiction of the law upon, which, uh, upon whom the law pronounces the sentence guilty, you must be removed from it. You must die to it. As we saw in, in Romans, that is what Jesus Christ has done for those who have faith in him, that you have died to the law through the body of Christ, that you are not under the law as the means by which you relate to God, but that you relate to the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. By faith in the Son, and it is by that means that you are made righteous. And so it's not a pursuit of the law that is based on works, but that is based on faith in the Messiah, who is the end of the law, who fulfills the law. So as we consider that, then we may nevertheless recognize that this is the description of God's people, the righteous, and those who are outside of Christ, the scriptures call wicked. And in particular focus are those wicked who would prevail in their wickedness through schemes to assault the righteous. Yet we need not be agitated. We need not become worked up or fretful. So let us look at these contrasts between the righteous and the wicked and how this will give us comfort as we see the wicked prospering. First, consider that the flourishing of the wicked is short-lived. Our psalm uses various agricultural images to describe just how short-lived the flourishing of the wicked is. If you look at verse 2, you read, For they will wither quickly like the grass, and fade like the green herb. If you read verse 20, the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastors. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. Or verse 35, I have seen a wicked, violent man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. Then he passed away, and lo, he was no more. And so the psalm takes from agricultural imagery, and this is something that we're all familiar with. We all know what it's like to... Uh, walk out on the grass 
a day or a few days after the lawn has been mowed, and you see the clumps of dried grass that have been cut, and they've withered away. There's no life in them. They're dead. They're gone. They are cut off. If you look about you this time of year, you see the trees, and you see that most of the leaves have dropped, that the green leaves that once seemed to be flourishing have now withered, they're crunchy, tread underfoot, and perhaps you see them disappearing into smoke as people toss them into their burn barrels or their fire pits. Or you may have seen a tree that seemed so strong and steadfast And if you had tried to push up against the tree, it wasn't going to go anywhere. But then there comes a thunderstorm, and to your surprise, you see a very large tree just uprooted from the ground. And it takes a while for uh, somebody to come and, and dispose of the tree, and you notice that a few days later, all of the leaves are withered. An image of the wicked. It's short-lived. It seems like they're flourishing. It seems like it's going to prosper for long. But very soon, that will change. Why are you fretful? Why are you agitated? Why are you angered? Don't you hear the lawnmower? Don't you hear uh, the, the crackling of the fire? Don't you hear the chainsaw engine has started? And don't you hear, as we read in verse 13, the Lord's laughter? Because he sees that their day is coming. And yet we're still anxious, we're still fretful, and we ask, how long? Verse 10, we're given an answer, a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. A little while, that's it. Consider the brief span of a human life compared to the eternity that lies before each one of us. If, if it helps, you can think of each human life as, as like a timeline. And you, you look at the timeline from, from birth until death. And then you take a step back and you zoom out. And the... Uh, the, the, the timeline contracts, and you see that now there's centuries which follow. And you take another step back, and you see that there are millennia which follow. And you take another step back, and the timeline contracts still further, and you see that uh, for eternity, millennia after millennia, millions of years after millions of years, is the existence of our souls, of our lives before God. And when you zoom out that far, how tiny do those first 70 or 80 years look by comparison? It seems like they flourish all their life long. It's only a little while. Consider all of human history up to this point, how quickly that has sped away. How long did Israel languish in Egypt waiting for deliverance? How long were the Old Testament saints waiting for the Messiah? How long has it been since the the early centuries of the Christian age? And yet all of that is already behind us. 
history is speeding on. And soon we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The question of how long is something that the the martyrs in Revelation chapter 6 ask. The sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they're given the same answer that we are given in this psalm. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. A little while. A little while. And then comes the judgment. Further, we see how short-lived the wicked are uh, through the, the poetry of the psalm. As I mentioned, this is an acrostic psalm, and the letter R, or the equivalent of the letter R in the psalm, and the letter that precedes it, there's a, an interesting device that David uses. There are 15 words in a row, all of which have the letter R, and the, the word for wicked person in Hebrew begins with the letter R, and so does the word evil. And there's a a string of 15 words, all of which contain the letter R. And then all of a sudden, it stops. And the point at which it stops is the point when, in in the text, uh, the psalmist goes and he looks for the wicked, but he can't find him. So if if we were to try to capture this in English, it might sound something like this. Wait for the Lord and respect his decrees, and he will raise you to inherit the earth. You'll observe when the unrighteous are severed. I observed an unrighteous wretch spreading like a green tree. I crossed over, and look, he was gone. Though I sought him, he could not be found. The letter R all of a sudden drops out, just like the wicked whose place cannot be found. Further, verse 28, we see that the the flourishing of the wicked is brief because their seed, their descendants, will be cut off. Verse 28, for the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. This is in contrast, then, to the righteous. Right now, the righteous are afflicted. Right now, they have trouble. Right now, the wicked seek to kill the righteous. In our psalm, the righteous have little. And yet, by contrast, against the wicked, their blessing will be forever. Verse 18, the Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. Verses 27 through 29, Depart from evil and do good, so you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever. In verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. As we think back again on the timeline of a human life, of a a Christian, somebody saved by grace, by faith in Jesus Christ, and we consider that expansive timeline. How brief and how short 
are the sorrows of this life compared to the blessing that lies ahead of us to be given us through Jesus Christ. And again, in contrast to the, to the wicked, the righteous have an expectation for their offspring. Verse 26. Speaking of the righteous man, all day long he is gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. That rather than being cut off, his descendants exist, and not only uh, do they receive blessing, but they become a blessing to others. So consider the comparative brevity of the flourishing of the wicked and the foreverness that lies before the righteous in Jesus Christ. But consider now a second contrast, not only the duration, but also the, the possession of the earth, the contrast between having a, a place and a, a permanent place on the earth and then being uprooted, removed from the earth. Consider again that the wicked do not have any permanent possession on the earth. It is repeatedly underscored that the wicked will be cut off. Verse 9, evildoers will be cut off. Verse 22, those cursed by him will be cut off. Verse 28, their offspring will be cut off. Verse 34, the wicked are cut off, and you will see it. In verse 38, transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off. They will be removed from the land. There will be no place for them. Verse 10, a little while and the wicked man will be no more, and you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. And again, verse 38, or ex excuse me, uh, <clears throat> verse 36, then he passed away, and lo, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. So they're cut off, no place. But the righteous, by contrast, will inherit the earth. And we see this idea brought out again and again, verses 3, 9, 11, 22, 29, and 34, in various ways, stating again that the righteous, the meek, will have an inheritance in the land. As we look around us and we see uh, wicked prospering, uh, we may wish that they were not in power. We may wish that they didn't have a possession of the earth. And we need to recognize that there are no, ultimately before God, there are no landowners. You may have taken out a mortgage and you may have paid it off, but there are no landowners. We are tenants on this earth, renters. And it is for the one who does own the earth to evict those from it if they defile and pollute it. And so consider that Jesus pronounces this beatitude upon his saints. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There will be that possessing of the earth as a gift God's saints will reign on the earth, according to Revelation. And in the parable of the talents, Jesus gives to the, the faithful stewards to rule over cities, 
consider that there's, there's, there's a future for those in Christ, that there's a, a permanent place, a permanent possession on the earth, and the wicked will not have that possession. They will not have that rule. It will be taken away from them. But the righteous, the meek, those who seek their refuge in the Lord, will inherit the earth. Now, as we consider this, we must turn again to Jesus Christ and consider how he has fulfilled this psalm. And for how there is, while we have spoken much of the final judgment and without uh, in any way attenuating the severity of the final judgment and the the absolute necessity for turning to faith in Christ. Yet for those who are still alive and are wicked, there is the Messiah. There is the righteous one. There is the one against whom the wicked drew their swords and bent their bows. There is the righteous one against whom the wicked sought to kill. And there is the righteous one who experiences the judgments that this psalm describes. Consider Isaiah. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? Consider that the heir of the vineyard who was uh, opposed by wicked men, who sought to kill him and seize the vineyard, was himself cut off out of the land of the living. Or consider what Jeremiah prophesies. But I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me they devised schemes, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be remembered no more. But, O Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. And so we see in this a twofold aspect. On on the one hand, the mercy of God, that there is Jesus Christ, who was cut off from the land by wicked men, and who, by means of that having been cut off, has opened the way of inheritance for sinners. That by faith alone, sinners may come to Christ. Sinners whose destiny was to be cut off from the land, and they may obtain an inheritance. They may be deemed righteous by God. And they may prosper long and flourish forever. But if those wicked persist in their wickedness, There is that vengeance that will come. So we should be filled with the desire to see the wicked repent, to see them search for the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. But we may also simultaneously take refuge and comfort in this fact, that the Lord will judge the earth in righteousness. As we think about that, it should calm our hearts. It should make us not fretful, 
not agitated, not angered, not taking vengeance into our own hands, but it should make us willing to seek the Lord and find our refuge in him. Even as we ourselves have been ones who were wicked and yet made righteous through Christ, so we may seek the advancement of the gospel for the, uh, for the benefit of other sinners. And yet we may also be certain that the judge of all the earth will do right. That he will call into his presence every man, woman, and child who has ever lived. And that there will be a perfect reckoning. That every, even every idle word will be accounted for. That every drop of blood ever spilled will be answered for. And for those in the Messiah, this causes them no fear, but is a great source of comfort and hope. Even as we consider the imperfectness of our own lives, we know that the blood of Jesus covers our sins and enables us to, with eager expectation, look forward to that great day. That is a sobering day. It is a dreadful day to think that the wicked will call on the mountains to fall on them. The wicked will cry out to deliver us from the wrath of the Lamb. And yet to look forward to that day with no fear, no dread, no anxiety. And in the present, to not be fretful or agitated, knowing that Jesus Christ is at work. That Jesus Christ will conquer the seed of the serpent. He will take out the, the offspring of the ungodly. And that he does that now in this age through the gospel. As he, as he takes those who are, are slaves to Satan and liberates them and frees them. And yet for those who will not be free, he will judge. And so seek your refuge in the Lord. Take shelter in him. And make the conclusion of this psalm something that you take with you this week. Verses 39 and 40. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we ask that you would still and quiet our hearts. We ask that we would not um, repay evil with evil, that when others curse us, we would bless, and that we would be a people who makes room for your vengeance, not avenging ourselves, but looking to you, and looking to your Son, the man of peace, for whom there is a future. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.